The American dream inspires many, but it's not without its flaws. The reality is people experience workforce discrimination in many forms. It's time to open our eyes and have challenging yet enlightening conversations. It's not always easy, but we need to start in order to make a difference. That conversation begins here. Welcome to the Untapped Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the Untapped Podcast, Episode 2. I'm your co-host, Emmett, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jeremy. Many of you will recognize Jeremy, who I had the pleasure of interviewing in our pilot episode. So if you haven't listened to it yet, don't forget to check that out. Today, though, we have a special guest who is a retired Air Force sergeant, and he is here to share his experience with us and give us insight into how prejudice has impacted his life and career. Scott, welcome to the show. Hello, Emmett. We appreciate you joining us this evening. Can you give us a little bit of background of what you did previous to the Air Force and what brought you to, to serve? Well, my with me learning to serve was more how some college students. I started in college. My father didn't want to pay my tuition after I my grades dropped. So he felt that since he came from the Korean era, my um, uncle, he went. he was in the Air Force. My father felt that was a good branch for me to join. He wanted me to do four years than to get out. I think to spite my father, I decided to re-enlist, make it a career. I was at Howard University for a semester. My father's rules were I had to have all B's or above. I got one C and he had me leave college. So after one semester, I um, joined the Air Force. My first job in the Air Force was logistics in Delaware. I was taking classes at Delaware State and I enjoyed that. Um, after that, I went to Lodges Field, the Azores in Portugal still working in logistics. When we bring up the subject of prejudice, when I was sitting behind my desk, a Caucasian gentleman came in and he said, look, boy, I need you to order this. And I said, what's your job? He said, I'm a communication specialist. I said, can you write that down? I took it. I went to the retraining office and I said, I want to do this job. So I got into communications. Communication specialist, really it's a Wi-Fi specialist today, but this is before Wi-Fi. It was more microwaves and satellites back then. So I got into the field, not because of the passion of liking it. I just wanted to show this young man that I could do what he could do. I hated it, but I didn't want to get out of the field because I had like cut off my nose, (laughs) you know, spiked myself. So I decided to stick with it. It was a hard school. It was a year and a half school in electronics and soldering and it sucked. But I just decided to stick with it. So I did that for a couple of years did it in Korea. Then I had the opportunity of working on the Joint Chief of Staff with Colin Powell doing his communications at the Pentagon. I enjoyed that a great deal. I had a sick aunt, so I decided to leave the Pentagon and get into recruiting service. And recruiting service is probably what changed my whole life because, yes, I wore the uniform, but I was working in the civilian sector again. I was able to go on college campuses in New York I excelled at recruiting, and then I became a doctor recruiter, where you're going into emergency rooms and convincing doctors to say, hey, why are you dealing with malpractice and all these large bills when I could take your student loans and put you in a uniform? And I really got to see the military differently from a civilian point of view. It also showed me how to be a small businessman because I was running a recruiting office. I got my quota each month. I drove around in my government vehicle. I forgot I was in the Air Force for those six years because I was running my business. Then I returned to the Air Force, 
retired in 2005, 2006 timeframe and realized that the reason I got out, I was 37, had done 20 years and I really wanted to embrace the civilian sector. I had earned my master's degree on active duty and I wanted to get into HR. So I worked for a Fortune 100, really a mom and pop boutique investment bank in Washington, D.C. that recruited me to run their HR. Did that for a year. Then I became the North American HR manager for all of Honeywell. And that really opened my eyes. But then in 2007, all the companies were belly up. President Obama took over in 08. The economy was bad. So I needed security. So I left my $150,000 a year job and worked for the DOD. Department of Defense is different, but it was secure. So that's why I work for the Department of Defense as a civilian since 2010. I'm from an era, you guys are a little younger, you guys make choices. In my generation, you did what your parents said. So my father said, I wasn't paying for your school. He came in my bedroom one morning, he said, get dressed. You're gonna be seen and not heard. He took me into the recruiting office. He told the recruiter, do not say anything, just have me sign. And the rest is history. So why become a government civilian worker? The security. I loved working for Honeywell. I probably could still work in HR as a global manager. But with me, I really like security. So I took the pay cut. I went from 150 plus bonuses to 36500 to start with the government. And it was, it was a culture shock. It's different. It's bureaucracy. It's red tape. But at the end of the day, it's secure. So I, in fact, I was quitting my government job and you go on race during my exit interview, their exact words, you're black with an MBA, you want to stay? And they put me in the contracting world where I became a contracting officer in 2011. And that fast tracked me back to the six figure world that I'm now, I'm in a career field with the government where you have to have an MBA to be in it. I'm a manager with subordinates. So I'm doing well again, but I, to answer your question, I picked the government due to security. So in the 2005-2006 timeframe, you retired from the military, you became a civilian worker. So what prejudice do you experience during the application process? I would say the prejudice I had is not just race. It was the fact that I was coming from the government. I was coming from active duty. And a lot of the companies I was working for, Honeywell and the boutique merging acquisition firm I worked for, I did not, I have a degree, but I did not have a Yale or Dartmouth or Ivy League background. I found a lot of prejudice based on being a non, I, I call it a non-traditional student. So I was having prejudice in the application process because I did not go to school traditionally. And a lot of veterans have that prejudice against them because they're wondering, how did you really go to school and serve? And when I got into management, I remember at Honeywell sitting around looking at resumes. And they said, you know what? We will never hire one of them dummies from Phoenix. Scott, whatever you do, do not find us any dummy from Phoenix. I said, do you guys consider me dumb? They're like, no, you're one of our top managers. I said, one of my degrees came from the University of Phoenix. I found a classism type prejudice more than race. I did find race issues, but the biggest prejudice I found was being a veteran and being a non-traditional learner. And that's why when I started mentoring veterans, I, 
a lot of time when I was screening resumes, I would go through the resumes I was going to give to a hiring manager. Then I would keep a good 30 to 50 and pro bono call these guys on my own and say, look, you didn't qualify for this job because of this, this, and this. And I started a resume service for veterans to try to prepare them because that's the type of prejudice I saw from veterans who try to get into the corporate world. Do you feel that there is a prejudice towards someone who may be, let's say, college educated, let's say the color perspective? The biggest problem I saw when I worked in HR, human resources at the corporate level, was the quality of resumes. I found that if I called the career center and told them what we were looking for, it was simple, Jeremy, as an email address, teaching a young college graduate not to have Big Booty 36 or something like that, to tell them to use first name dot last name, something that simple. Or when they come to an interview, to have on a coat and tie, to put their resume in their school portfolio. They were not as polished as my young college graduates who were coming. I was on the East Coast at the time. So if I had a graduate from Georgetown and a graduate from Bowie State, the graduate from Georgetown was more prepared from their school than, say, even University of Maryland College Park. Those guys interviewed poorly. So I used to call the college centers and say, you're not preparing these students. That Because you're right. Does race play? Yes, it does. But if someone came in polished and articulate and had everything, the recruiter can prepare them for the hiring manager. So me as a recruiter and HR person, I did not look at race. And my peers who were in my team, they will, you, you got to think, Jeremy, they want to hire race because that helps them with diversity. Because right now, like Honeywell, I had a hiring manager tell me, we're failing because everyone looks like me. We're all fat and white. He told me that in a board meeting. I don't want anyone fat and white. I need some women. I need some people that will challenge me mentally and bring a different scope in because we're getting older. Yes, when we all came into this company in our 20s, we were innovative. Now we're not. We're old and stagnant. So they want to hire diversity. It's that sometimes, and I am Black, but sometimes some Black candidates feel that's all they need to get the job. It's sorry to say, Jeremy, but they feel that, hey, I don't have to be as prepared, but they, they need to be. But it takes people like us to prepare people to let them know that what they need to do. And, that, and I've seen so many candidates change once you educate them on how they should be prepared. All right. So basically what I take from this is the career services at these universities needs to be improved so that they can push the actual candidates forward. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah. What prejudice have you experienced in the promotion process? The prejudice I found in the promotion process in the Department of Defense in my field, it's mostly women. So being a man, it's hard. And the fact that once again, I was a, an adult learner, so a non-traditional learner. So a lot of the people in management here came through the ranks together. So they started as interns in their 20s. I got into management in my 40s. And they feel I didn't pay my dues. So 
that was some of the prejudice I've seen. Another thing here in San Antonio, St. Mary's has a very strong alumni, and most of those are Hispanic women. The fact that I'm not bilingual, sometimes in the workplace, if they get frustrated, they'll go to their native language. So it was some of that prejudice I've seen. I also had an incident with a, a EEO complaint two years ago where one of my white coworkers put a picture of Franklin on my desk as a Valentine's Day card. And she saw nothing wrong with that, that all the blacks in the office got black cards, all the whites and Hispanics got white cards. And she did not see anything wrong with, then she drew on my mouse, on my sticky note, a picture of a black man with a bow tie. She thought it was complimentary, but it was so racist. But she didn't understand that. And then, of course, she started crying and felt upset that I put her through an EEO complaint and they forced her to retire. But I just told her, ignorance is not always an excuse for not being racist. Wow. Powerful story. Scott, what are your thoughts on the national anthem protest? I agree with you. And I feel a lot of veterans do agree with it because we fought for the right to do that. When I joined the military, well, you asked me why the military. When I was growing up in New York, recruiters were not allowed on campus because we were all taught you're going to college. So they didn't want anyone to join the military. So when I became a recruiter before 9-11, I had people come to my recruiting office burning flags, urinating on the flag, spitting on me because they didn't want their son or daughter to join because they felt that was a lower class field. And then when I got stationed in Korea and we used to do so many exercises and at the end of each exercise, they play Lee Greenwood, proud to be an American. And living overseas was the first time I felt proud to be an American. But at the same time, I feel it's his right. And I feel that there's nothing wrong with Colin Kaepernick is doing. And many servicemen agree with that. The sad thing, due to the Hatch Act, at work, we can't talk about politics at all. And you bring up Kaepernick, but we must also bring up Trump and former President Trump and Magnet. We can't talk about Kaepernick at work, but our supervisors would wear red MAGA hats. So it's funny, everyone got so upset about Colin Kaepernick. And then with George Floyd and everything that happened, they're seeing why he did it. But yet we had the last four years of turmoil with so many people's feelings coming out. So Colin Kaepernick had a peaceful demonstration because of the words. If people do the research and actually read the national anthem, you'll see why he's kneeling if you read the unedited version of it. So it's nothing wrong with that. My children, if you want to kneel, kneel. But if you kneel, understand that some people are going to be upset. I was at a high school football game last week and half the kids on the sideline knelt. But the fans behind them started throwing cans and bottles at those players for kneeling. And these are high school students. So it's nothing wrong with kneeling, but you have to understand that not everyone is going to agree with you. And you have to be ready to defend that right. You know, one of the things I think that I learned was that Kaepernick actually had a conversation with Nate Boyer who was a Green Beret and had this conversation about, hey, don't just sit on the bench like he had done, I think, the first preseason game. It'd be more respectful to kneel. The beauty of being an American and living in other countries, I feel we have the freedom of speech. 
So the fact that we could do anything and know we're not going to be arrested, nor caned, nor <laughs> treated in such an unfair way. I do agree that when you sit, it look, some people might think you're just lazy, but when you kneel or just stand silently, you're letting people know. Because if you remember when in basketball, when Chris Jackson years ago did the same thing, Craig Hodges did the same thing and their careers quietly went away. To me, there's nothing wrong with silent protest. It's just the consequence of others. To me, it's no lying because it's your right. If you wanna, as long as you don't touch me, I'm good. But if you wanna do something on your own, you just have to be willing to take the consequence. And Mr. Kaepernick has lost millions over this. So he is finding the consequence, but I don't think he should be a social pariah because of his right. Do you see a difference in reaction between the black veteran military members versus the white? Or is it more just a media hype between the two? No, it is. And I could bring up from my own front yard. And I think that's why maybe Jeremy added this question. On my lawn, I hang the American flag on all holidays, but I also have a flag of Kaepernick kneeling on my lawn. So I've had my white neighbors pull it out the ground or roll up the flag where you can't see Kaepernick kneeling. I've had black veterans say to me, I agree with Kaepernick. So I've had few of my neighbors who are Trump supporters drive their trucks very close to my property and beep at the Kaepernick flag. How I had to explain to my daughter, it's funny you bring that up. She's like, dad, you have the American flag. You're racist. I said, honey, why am I racist? It's so sad that the younger generations feel that if you want to display your flag, you're a Trump supporter. I said, no, I display the flag because I serve this country and I believe in America. But at the same time, I believe in kneeling. So on my property, you have a BLM flag for Black Lives Matter. You have the American flag and you have a flag of Colin Kaepernick kneeling. And I feel that I embraced all three. I do have, when you bring up white veterans, I'll say the women are more liberal. And a lot of them, I have a lot of female coworkers. So the only silent protest you'll see at work is on NFL day. You'll see a lot of whites, women wearing Ka Kaepernick jersey. I've worn my Kaepernick jersey and I've had white men ask me to take it off. I've had a few blacks, older veterans, asked me why I would support him, but we had dialogue. A lot of the whites won't even entertain dialogue about the subject. The black veterans, I had one who stopped on my property around a month ago and asked me why I had it. And when I told him about it, he asked for the link to order his own. So a lot of it is why you're supporting. And if we could, like we're doing now, we'll have an open dialogue. Conversation could cure so many things, but Look at my young black daughter. She thought the American flag was bad. <laughs> why am I having that on our property? She stormed in the house. Why is that out? I said, because we're American. She said, but we're black. I said, but we're black American. But then the last couple of weeks as the election was going on and all the Trump trains were going here, it was scary because they were using the American flag as a weapon. So uh, I want to ask a kind of a bonus question because this is kind of relevant. Back in the 90s, formerly Chris Jackson, now Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, during a Sacramento Kings game, turned his back to the American flag. What were your thoughts on that? 
by Kaepernick, I said that was good for him because I was growing up with a lot of friends who are either Sunni Muslim or the Nation of Islam growing up in New York. I understood that. I had friends thrown out of class because they could not stand for the flag. So growing up in New York with so many cultures, I was educated on that. So it made sense. And you got to think when he did that, that was at the beginning of Desert Storm. So we're in a war. People are pumped up on pro-America and this young man turned his back. So if you think about the time he did that, when he turned his back, we were fighting in Desert Storm. So people are looking at their relatives, aunts, uncles, cousins, nieces, nephews are dying or worse, coming back maimed. Because look at all the people from the 90s and the early 2000s who served one or two years and came back maimed where they're not the same. Those people really take offense to that. To me, I looked at it as freedom of speech. Other people are not as liberal as me, nor have they lived in a foreign country. I lived in places where they can't do that. So it made me respect America even more that I can do that. If he doesn't want to stand, that's his business. I guess after I had a flag burned on my desk, I feel that's a lot worse than someone turning their back. Someone urinating on my desk is worse to me than turning your back on the flag. Because Chris Jackson turned his back. It did not affect me, you know. Yeah, it's pretty amazing to and appalling, really, to see how even in social justice issues that don't necessarily seem to have any relationship to the office or to hiring, you're seeing that there are reactions that people have that they express themselves in the office. I could never imagine someone doing that, you know, to my desk or going to the office and feeling that or having that kind of experience. So this goes much deeper than, you know, why are we talking about social justice when we're talking, we're supposed to have a conversation about hiring and more diverse talents because we're having our eyes open to the fact that you're experiencing these things that many other people don't, don't know, aren't aware of, like myself. And you got to think 9-11 did change a lot. Those incidents that I faced as a recruiter before 9-11, everyone became instant patriot after 9-11. So a lot of things changed where recruiters, people, like I have a good friend, him and I would go out for coffee and someone would just pick up his tab and thank you for your service. So from 1986 to 2001, no one ever said thank you for my service. But now anytime I pull out my ID card, thank you for your service. So people are more patriotic. So what is being done within the government since you are a government employee to eradicate prejudice and racism? We have EEO set up. The biggest thing is whether people want to report it. And then when you do report it, the various guidelines are antiquated. Most of our civil rights legislation was written in the 60s. So until we get modern EEO leg legislation, things are not going to change in a civilian corporation that you guys work in or in the government. Our laws are antiquated. The fact that we're dealing on prejudicial standards, it's all based on the Civil Rights Act. It has to be rewritten. I mean, the fact that it's just not blacks, it's 
Middle Eastern, it's Asians, and now with the same-sex partners. And we need to change legislation. And I think that would clear up a lot of it because a lot of this is perception, I hate to say. Even the issue with that young lady who gave me that black card, I could not believe that in 2019 when this happened that this woman felt that she could do that. For one, I would not give a Valentine's Day card to a coworker. Like I told her, we're not in sixth grade. I, I couldn't believe she would do that and then to draw a picture of a black character on my desk and think that was okay. I mean, we have to educate and change legislation. And so where do you think Untapped fits into that? I feel Untapped is doing good at educating the candidates, but I feel we Untapped also should have a forum where we're talking to more middle management. So a lot of times when our CEOs make these statements, they're in these glass towers. As an HR manager where I was able to work with them, I realized that they were out of touch. Most of the issues of discrimination that we had at Honeywell was with middle management. Most of the problems that happen in a workplace, especially a Fortune 50 or Fortune 100 company, are with your middle level managers. Your managers who've been managing three to five years, who are kind of green and don't understand HR principles. And that's another thing that hurts our companies, guys. We're hiring managers without giving them any HR background. You'd be surprised how many managers I brought into my office who never read the employee handbook. <laughs> you know, they, they were making decisions arbitrarily and not in line with the company's directives. So I feel as we're preparing candidates for the workplace and we're talking to senior management who we feel are making these managerial decisions, but we're forgetting middle management. I think Untapped needs to have a forum to educate those who are more aligned in the hiring process. Yes, your CEOs, your CFOs, they get the credit, but the middle manager is the one making that decision on the entry level or first time employee. And I know when I was in HR, we spent a lot of lunchtime learning. We used to call it brown bag learning, where we would bring in the junior managers and spend most of our time. Because we, we saw that most of our lawsuits that we were losing were due to their decisions. Most of the times we ended up on CNN and we were getting sued, it was due to the inexperienced manager. Not the people from above, it was that middle management that causes most of the havoc within a workplace. With that being said, is there anything else that you'd like to add, Scott? Any words of wisdom as we're kicking off Untapped episode two, still in the very, very early stages? I think Untapped should also really work with anybody who's unprotected, meaning with the transgender really becoming a part of our workplace. Even with me as a parent, seeing more and more of my children's friends, when they were fifth grade, they were girls. And now they change their names and they're boys. And I think that is something that we really have to work on, helping all people in the protected classes, all minorities, because I feel they're going to face a discrimination that we've never seen before. Yes, we've seen overt racism, 
But now with the open, openness of sexuality, because my daughter the other day, she said, you have to call them by the right pronoun. And I said, what do you mean? She said, yeah, you can't call her her. You have to say they. So I sat in on one of my daughter's Zooms. And each morning, one of her teachers asks the student, which pronoun are they going by today? And one of the students in September was one pronoun. And now in December, they're a different pronoun. So I feel Untapped should also look at that because Jeremy was asking me a question offline about how I felt about the military today. And I shared with him that I recruited doing don't ask, don't tell. So even if someone came in my office and I knew they were homosexual, as long as they did not tell me they were homosexual, they were allowed to enlist. That was the policy. Now you'll see same-sex relationships and that's something I never saw when I was serving. It's common to go into any part of the base or post if you were the Air Force or the Army and seeing a same-sex relationship being accepted in the armed forces. That wasn't true years ago. So I feel that as bad as race relations are in the United States, we also have to take into consideration those candidates looking for employment who are of a different race and are having ish, not issues. They know their sexuality, but others are having wow. issues with their sexuality. And I think we need to embrace that in a form like Untapser. Awesome. Well, thank you, Scott. Really, really appreciate your time. Jeremy, do you have any other final questions? Uh, th this was great. This was awesome. This was uh, very insightful coming from someone who is who has military experience, but also has the government civilian experience. Uh, something of value to add it to Untap. So we appreciate you, Scott. Yes, thank you. And we appreciate it to all of our listeners as well for joining us this evening. And we'll see you next time. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and we'd be honored if you would review us wherever you listen to our podcast. We are actively looking for people of color to send us their resumes and career aspirations. So please log on to untappedrecruiting.com to learn more.